Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne. I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Jeremy Murray, originally from the Greater Lithgow area, got into photography through his extensive international travels. However, amidst his explorations, he found that nothing quite compares to his hometown. His journey into photography mirrors that of many enthusiasts, initially ignited by the desire to capture the essence of his travels and new experiences. Through the lens, Jeremy has cultivated a heightened sense of observation and an enhanced appreciation for the simple yet extraordinary facets of daily life. His greatest joy stems from embarking on nature explorations with his family. In his photography, Jeremy aims to rekindle people's connections with the natural world, emphasising the importance of safeguarding wild landscapes and wildlife. We discuss his initial exposure to photography through travel with a particular fondness for Africa and how his interest developed into a hobby, the importance of exploring different angles and subjects, his concern for the loss of wild places due to environmental issues, highlighting the need for conservation and much more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Jeremy. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks, Grant. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good. It's not a bad day. It's a little bit cooler than it has been the last week. How about yourself? Where Whereabouts are you and, and what have you been up to? Lisco, New South Wales, so just off the Blue Mountains. Yep. So not quite the cold snap they said it would be today. So no, still no, no snow. <laughs> no, no snow this year, really. Yeah. Very many. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. It's really a pleasure to have you with me. You're someone that I've been wanting to talk to for a little while, actually. Why don't you start with telling people who you are and why you're into landscape photography? Oh, thanks very much for having me, firstly. I was pretty glad to be asked. So my name's Jeremy. As I said, I live in Lithgow, New South Wales, and just off the Blue Mountains and grew up here. And I guess started with photography, like a lot of people did, was lucky enough to do a lot of travel in my 20s. Yep. And just before our first trip overseas, like first big trip overseas, we were heading to East Africa for six weeks and thought, uh, should probably, should get a good camera before we go. And as much as we thought and took it away and didn't know how to use it and when we were there, kind of really enjoyed shooting and seeing what you got on the back of the screen. And we did things like the gorilla trekking and safari and all that. And some of those situ- situations are a bit like you put anyone there with a camera and you'll get some good shots. So it was really inspiring to to start there, but then fell off really quick and only picked it up for when you went on holidays and put it away in the cupboard again for another six months till you go overseas again. Sure. Did that off and on for many years. And then, yeah, probably started to take it a bit more seriously in 2018, had a complete year off and did a lot of travel. Mm -hmm. Um, So spent the first half of the year in South America, um, which was good. Went to like Patagonia and all those bucket list places that, I wish I knew what I was doing (laughs) (laughs) and then came back from there halfway through the year and thought got decent shots, but nowhere as good as they should have been. Yeah. Um, So then spent a bit more time learning about it before we went back to Africa again at the end of the year and um, managed to get some stuff I was more happy with, which was good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So in, in that process, I guess I'm interested, particularly in those early days, where you started to get that inspiration to actually start taking photos which started to tend towards the artistic as opposed to just recording what you're seeing, which is where everybody starts. You, whether it's a point of shoot or a decent DSLR or an SLR back in the film days, most people start off by seeing something, a nice scene or something of interest, and they'll take a shot. But they don't think too much about the balance of the composition or the, the way that that's actually going to represent itself as a piece of art. Where did that sort of start for you? I still probably struggle to think of my photos as art. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, really. I just, I don't know what it is, but I, I tend to think of art as paintings and drawings and stuff. And I know, yeah. know photography is, but I just struggle to think of mine that way. Okay. And, but I guess how I look at it is I've just always tried to take the best photo I can, if that makes sense. Yeah. I guess in that year where we're overseas for the whole time, Somewhere through there, it was like, I remember at the start of the year um, thinking, just trying to get my head around aperture properly. I still hadn't, yeah. hadn't done that because I was like, oh, I want it sharp, so I'll just put it on F22. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like an entry-level camera, so it was just noisy as anything. And then coming back and not being 100% happy with what you saw really started to make me think, no, I really need to get my head around this and figure out like what it is I'm actually doing. Yeah. So what were you comparing your shots against? Was it stuff you were seeing on Instagram and online or was it? I didn't have Instagram then. I tried a few times and it was probably like stuff on, I'd just Google how to do this and that and the right yep. would come up and there'd be these amazing Nat Geo style photos and sure. thinking about like a long way off that and trying to bridge the gap between the two. Yeah. And right. Over the years, then after that, we moved back to Lithgow Blue Mountains area. And so you've got stunning landscapes just at your front door, depending where you're living. And so then you could go out really regularly, review what you saw. And, and by that point, I did jump on the social media bandwagon as well and start seeing all the great shots and, yeah. and got a bit inspired by that. Okay. And what? What is it that motivates you now? What keeps you going? What is it that makes you want to get up at silly o'clock or stay up until four o'clock in the morning doing a, an astro shoot or something? So I think now it's more about just spending time outside and in nature as opposed to to cool. wanting to get tons more out of it. Because I've always been interested in like, travel and wildlife and nature and landscape. And it just gives me a lot more motivation to go out. There's those days where you're like, ah, oh, I wouldn't bother going on a bushwalk today, but then there's a place you want to go and shoot or yep. you know, something you want to find. So it gives you that extra bit of motivation uh, to yeah, get sure. And then I guess like a lot of people, I've had your struggles with mental health off and on and depression and anxiety. And I've found that if I make sure I get out a bit and whether it's with a camera or not, it just helps you unwind from the week and keeps everything a lot more balanced. And yeah, sure. I found that was a real missing piece for keeping on the straight and narrow, so to speak. Mm. Do you find that's become 
or that became more prevalent, uh, the mental health issues, before or after social media? Was it just something that was always there because of stress at work or whatever? But I think it was always there. Yeah, I think it was always there and, and, and like all of us, stuff you pick up along your life and how you yeah. do things isn't always... Like Everyone's that. their worst critic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I do notice now social media is not always the conductive to great mental health if you get in that kind of trap of comparing your stuff to other work and, yeah. Yeah. and starting to just you have those periods where you look at your stuff and you just think it's all shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> which we all have time to time. Yeah, yep. So I don't think it's always the best. Yeah, and then I find then it's you probably need a bit of a break for a while. Yeah. In terms of where you are on that spectrum from hardcore planning where you're into all the apps and it takes you weeks before you decide where you're going to go and you know exactly, you pre-visualise what it is that you're going to shoot to somebody that says... All right, I'm going out this morning. Conditions look pretty good. We'll give it a go. Where are you on that spectrum? I think now I'm a lot more spontaneous. So I'm in a situation where, you know, I have a three-year-old and another one on the way. Yeah. And so it's kind of very opportunistic these days when you get out. And it's normally oh. I've woken up before everyone else. And yep. so peep outside and it looks pretty good. And so I'll, I'll go and hopefully I can be home before everyone's up. <laughs> but I'll, so a lot of it tends to be quite spontaneous, but I do have a list of places that, you know, if the the clouds are here, this is where I'll go or. Yeah, right. And because I do shoot a lot around the mountains and live there, you can while you're driving and say, oh, the clouds are this side, so I'll go to Katoomba or you yeah, know. you can alternate depending on yeah. what things are looking like. Yeah. 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 So you can just pick your spot and go from there. Yeah, fair enough. And then if it's something like Astro, I try and plan a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Just but even then, so it's I'll have a bit of a list and see where the clouds are and where they're not and go from there. Yep, fair enough. And what do you do in terms of trying to you 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 say you're not thinking of your work artistically, but your work definitely has its own style. Do you feel that you've developed that on your own, or is it something that you've been influenced by others, or is it something that is a bit of a blend of the two? I think uh, I don't consciously shoot in a deliberate way where I'm like, oh, I've got to do this and that because this is my style and it's got to fit like with the rest of my work. Yeah. But I think it just tends to happen that way for most of us. You start to see things you do and what you don't like and and start to shoot that way. And then you start to put like your favourite shots together and then you'll see there's similar compositional elements or colour palettes you like. Or- yeah, right. And I think that's mostly it, just going out and shooting and shooting and you finally see what you enjoy to look at and and that's kind of where I've developed my style, I think. Mm-hmm. Not that I could tell you what that is. Okay. Well, I was going to ask if you could describe it. I guess I, I think I like, I do, if I can find a good strong foreground with leading lines, I think that yeah, right. often is something I try and look for because I tend to use a wide angle a lot and I think if you just snap the whole scene sometimes it's a bit 
bit too much in. Sure. And then I definitely like vibrant colours because I mostly shoot sunset and sunrise and yeah. what you tend to chase at those times. Yep. And, yeah, more and more then I've been trying to look at as well, like shooting a bit more deliberately, finding like the what do you actually like about the scene, what's going to be the main subject, and then what complements that in the foreground. Yeah. Okay. What about experimentation? Do you do much of that out in the field or is it more you just, you've got a kind of, not necessarily a set routine, but you've got a kind of an idea about how you want to capture a, a, a particular style of scene, like a, a waterfall or a, a sunrise or, or whatever it is? Yeah, I, I, I do think I experiment because I tend to, especially since going the mirrorless route now, I don't really shoot with a tripod much anymore. Okay. Um, yep. Only really astro and not much of anything else. Yeah. So then I tend to just be wandering around, taking probably way more shots than I should and just try and... <laughs> I don't think there's any such thing. <laughs> yeah, just spray and fray. <laughs> wandering around and just trying a bunch of different angles and seeing what I see and and if you find something you like I'll still keep walking and try and find something else because you can always come back to it once you know where it is right. like when the light hits its best spot so I tend to come back with a, a lot of rubbish as well so I'll probably delete a lot but that's okay no one has to see them so no, that's it. No one's going to see your worst work. No, no, not unless I'm desperate for something to post and think it's a good idea. <laughs> I remember not too long ago, and, and, and unfortunately, I was had was doing a, a long exposure, seven, seven minutes at uh, nautical twilight, so I couldn't really see what I was doing. Realised that I'd actually left the lens cap on. <laughs> So that that one wasn't great. No, there's Seven been minutes of black. No, definitely not. There's been plenty of times I've left the lens cap on in a hurry, got excited, like for wildlife or something, and pointed at it, and it's like, shit. Now it's gone. It's flown away, and I've missed it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> I'm interested in how you balance capturing something that's a bit unique and different, but trying to also as you said yourself, that it's a fairly true representation of the scene. From my read of your work, there's not a lot of, there's virtually no manipulation. You might do a composite or two that, that I can remember, but mostly it's what the camera sees is what you're going to get. Yeah, so I try to keep it fairly true to scene because mm. I think, I don't know if part of that's I'm a bit of a lazy editor as well. Okay. Um, I think if it takes me too long, then I have to work it too hard. It's probably just a shit photo and move on. <laughs> but yeah, I try to keep it true to scene because I think what I like about photography is being out and enjoying nature. And yeah. I think it's inspiring enough as it is. I don't need to add heaps of elements or change the colors wildly or just do my best to represent you know, what was there. I'm happy to tweak a bit, like you said. I've removed yeah. things and I'm no purist by any means. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, yeah, most places are beautiful enough as they are and don't need tonnes of extra work. And and if I don't get the conditions I want, I'll just have to go back again. Like, yeah, yeah. There's always another sunrise or another Yeah, sunrise. that's right. There'll be one tomorrow. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> 
it is tempting though if you're up super early and you've hiked 90 minutes to get somewhere and then it's a fizzer it's bloody tempting to chuck in a different sky and (laughs) (laughs) yeah because do i really want to do that again (laughs) yeah that's it particularly if in one of the directions it's uphill all the way yeah that's it and on the mountains it's going to be uphill one direction that's it we're out there on the way back And you, you mentioned the like that period where you started to get more serious and you decided, okay, I'm going to start to learn the the camera and how to sort out aperture, et cetera, et cetera. How did you go about that? Was that something that you sought out mentorship or did you do it all yourself and it was self-taught through YouTube and whatever? How did um, you go about it? I remember there was one set of articles it was like a i can't remember where it was from but it was like a wildlife photography blog and they had a youtube channel and everything but they had just one really set of art like good set of articles that was like one was on aperture one was on shutter speed one was on iso and then one on composition and i don't know what it was about those articles but they just explained it in a way that it clicked Yep. Okay. And after I got the hang of that, then it was mostly YouTube, just watching heaps of different channels. Yeah, hours and hours of YouTube and then going out and getting it wrong and then trying again the next time. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the natural landscape and so forth around where you are in particular, lots of national parks, lots of – there's also – not too far away from Lithgow mining and various other industries and whatever. Have you noticed in going out over the last few years things changing in the environment much? Yeah, I have, especially some of the places that are becoming more and more popular. I guess one I can think of is that shot at the top of Bridalvale Falls at Yep. When I first kind of shot there a few years back, it wasn't obvious where you had to go. And yeah, I, I, I remember Bridal Falls from the first time I went there it would have been probably in the 70s and there wasn't actually a path from the lookout down to where the drop of the falls actually was. You oh, had really? to, there, there was a path all the way down to the bottom, to the pool at the bottom of the falls, but at the top of the falls, there wasn't a, there wasn't a defined path to get there. Yeah. Um, last time I went there and this is... 30-odd years later, 40 years later, <laughs> nearly, I, I noticed, yeah, you can pretty much tell how to get there now. Yeah, that's it. And there's this big path just that's trampled vegetation and yeah, yeah um, just to that top top of the fall there. And um, I can't judge anyone. I, I probably helped tread that path. <laughs> but d- that's definitely one spot where I, the last time I went, I was felt left feeling a bit guilty thinking i don't know how many more times i'll shoot there i'll have to find another lazy go-to landscape spot <laughs> fair enough there's always um, right. <laughs> yeah that's right but it's, it's not a bit of a hike to that one yeah it's not as lazy but definitely when you go up like noon's plateau if you've been up there yeah been up there yeah you start to see just some changes with combination of as you said all under there is a just giant mine basically which again i'm i I can't say i'm 
necessarily i can't judge mining too harshly basically it's it's put food on my plate uh while i was growing up but yeah you can definitely see the subsidence issues and the the damage to some of the rock formations and things like that up there and it also tends to change quite a bit particularly when there's bad weather and rain and the erosion there and then people heading up and not respecting the tracks because most of it's four-wheel drive only. And when you're going up in wet bogs and are getting stuck, it leaves a pretty big mess for everyone else to try and get through. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I can't, oh, well, it's been a few years since I've been up to Nunes Plateau. I think went up and did the Glowworm Tunnel there, which is, is the old issues, Nunes Railway tunnel there which is a couple of k's long i think and you get some lovely glowworms in there but even that i think there's still quite a few there but i remember again going there as a kid and being absolutely blown away by how much light you could actually see in there and it's not quite as bright as it used to be maybe it's just my old eyes but no it's definitely not my childhood wasn't the 70s, but I do remember going up there as a kid and it was a lot. Whether that's I've built it up in my mind over time. That's the other thing. could just be a, a distant memory that's yeah. you know, been reinforced over time. Yeah. Everything's pretty grand when you're a kid. That's right. Everything looks bigger and better, doesn't it? Yeah. But that's another good example, actually, because they're doing a lot of work up there now because the amount of traffic that it gets, it just doesn't have facilities to keep up with it and i think they had funding to actually put a boardwalk through the tunnel oh okay wow Um, like a walkway yeah i guess too many people tripped over (laughs) yeah no that doesn't surprise me i'll I'll always take a torch with me if i'm going in there so yeah that's it 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 is a bit rugged on the underfoot it's not but then i don't know the the cynic in me i think is a bit like once they put a boardwalk in. Like, it's just going to promote more usage. Yeah, yeah. And, and also the process of putting that boardwalk in, I can't imagine it's fantastic for glowworms. Um, Wouldn't have thought so, no. <laughs> but I guess national parks know a lot more than me. <laughs> who, am I to, Maybe. Yeah. who am I to judge? No, that's it. Yeah. In terms of uh what photography is for you in your life is it a full-time work is it a hobby is it a just a pastime and something that you do to relax or what is it to you i think first and foremost it's hobby and and time to relax like i said before about getting out in nature and gives me that extra motivation to to get out and about which i don't often need a extra push i'm happy to go out on the days where you don't need it it gives you that extra motivation yeah yeah, so mostly hobby and pastime and then little previously a bit of a side hustle but i'm at the point where i'm thinking of just wrapping that part up and leaving it just as a hobby and yeah so i found the with the side hustle it was just print sales and things like that and funny enough, like who would have thought the amount of prints you sell is directly related to how much effort you put in selling them? Oh, and- definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much like anything. If you're not advertising yourself and your work, then it's hard for people to find you. Yeah, that's it. It's not a free money pit. And so 
found that the more effort I put in selling them, the less I was enjoying photography sure. Uh, sure. and starting to feel more like a chore and something that I had to do as opposed right. to something I wanted to do. And as I said, because it's been so helpful mental health-wise and keeping that on track, I don't really want to change it to something I'm not enjoying and, and lose that. So I'm in the process of tossing up, just canning the, the print store and all that stuff and wow. still probably keep the website as a little bit of a, a your own patch. But yeah, yeah, a gallery of your own, yeah. Yeah, and I found too, even on the like online, most people would contact you before buying a print anyway, even if it's there. There was very few times where you just get the random email that you've sold something. Yeah. Most of the time there's a lead in and a bit of contact. So yeah. most of the time for me, it's now uh, people trying to con me into them doing NFTs for me. Oh, definitely. <laughs> there's no shortage of them, is there? No, unfortunately, I got I, I got to the the other day. I think it was was it yesterday or the day before, with literally two two different IDs. I think it was on Facebook Messenger or something, and they were both literally word for word the same script. <laughs> I've, I do try and have a bit of fun with them sometimes. Oh, same, same. Yeah. I, I just I, I did a video on it actually, which is on the YouTube channel about scammers in your dms and so i every time i get one of these now i just send them a link saying because they always say can you message me so i send them that as a message and say here's, here's my message to you <laughs> funnily enough never hear back from them yeah who'd have thought <laughs> i've i've tried to get a few to convince a few to pay me just via paypal gift and then yeah, yeah. but it never worked either. Yeah. No, they're, they're, I'll keep trying. Then they're going to send you money. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. no I, I, I personally think they're, aside from being mildly humorous, they're just a, a scourge on the internet now. And it's just, it is getting, I think, uh, a, a bit too far gone to, it's one of the things that's actually putting me off using social media as a sales and advertising platform yeah. even though that's where people are most likely to find you it's kind of do i really want to put up with all the crap that comes along with it you know yeah that's it i think it seems to be a lot worse on i think instagram than than some of the others even yeah. facebook you get a lot less than on instagram i've, I've noticed facebook has really picked up for me mm. it's probably about now twice what i was getting on instagram oh really yeah yeah. oh that's nuts yeah tell me about it yeah because i found too like when we were talking about like selling prints and things facebook was always way better oh absolutely instagram absolutely better. yeah but it makes sense mostly instagram where you grow by other photographers following you as opposed yeah. to facebook where it tends to be old mate up the road yeah a anyone and everyone yeah and mm. anyone in their opinion <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth some of the stuff you see is just like, <laughs> I, I i want to really lash out at this person but i think it's just not worth it <laughs> uh, just the other day i had a comment that it took me all my self-restraint not to <laughs> there was some it was another photographer and it was like never interacted with them ever 
before. Yeah. And Lee well, usually the best people to judge your work, aren't they? Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and like a lot of us, you put the gear you use to take the photo in your post. Yep. And just the comment was along the lines of, I don't care what gear you use, photography is about conveying a feeling and that's what it is about for me and blah, blah. It was this massive long rant. It was like just, yeah. Yeah, so we just got a good thumbs up there. (laughs) (laughs) I I typed a response and I was like, nah, that really only deserves a thumbs up. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know the feeling. I know the feeling exactly. Yeah, it does your head in. If it was someone you'd talk to a bunch of times, then maybe. Even then. Yeah, yeah. If, if you'd already had some kind of conversation going, you could get into the conversation around it. But, yeah, just a, a random coming at you going, but I don't want you to put what camera you use on here. It's kind yeah, of like, that's right. <laughs> you do you, I'll do me. See ya. Exactly. <laughs> Pardon me. I don't um, feel that mentality today, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get me on a good day to to get me to respond on some of those. <laughs> yeah, that's it. For those that don't know, obviously I know where Lithgow is, but there may be some people overseas or from other states that might not know. As you said, it's near the Blue Mountains. Describe conditions for where you like to shoot around the mountains and so forth for, for those people. Yeah. So Lithgow itself, I probably prefer. So I guess it's the first town off the Blue Mountains, which is, like you said before, a massive national park um, that's pretty much known for huge eucalypt forests, heaps of waterfalls and mountains by Australian standards. Dramatic escarpments and plateaus. Yeah, so big sandstone escarpments overlooking valleys full of eucalypts and some pretty pretty unique rock formations and that. And then, so this goes the first town off the mountains. Still a decent elevation though, because it goes up and up then yeah. up to the central tablelands. And Lisco's got some real, like it's a valley itself. And I guess one thing I'd like about it is just looking at a window now is it's a place where everyone in town has a view because the mountains are around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, around the town. And then you can go up onto those mountains and find there's like Nunes Plateau where we we're talking about before is like sandstone pagodas, which are like almost yurt or hut shaped rocks. And they're just yeah. beehive sort of shape. Yeah. 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 And they just line the escarpments and hills. Mm. And so it's, you could go there. There's enough locations that you could go somewhere different every weekend all year and not go to the same place twice if you work for it. And yeah, I tend to try and do my best to shoot some different stuff that not everyone shoots. Not always successful (laughs) because we all like those honeypot locations as well. But um, yeah, there's, I really, like I said before, trying to find an interesting foreground. I love the different patterns and, and shapes you find in the rocks. So if you can incorporate that into the larger scene, I think yeah. enjoy shooting that stuff. Yeah. You get up there at flannel flower season as well when you've uh, yeah. got all those beautiful white furry sort of quite, they look a bit like daisies, but they're not 
remotely related to them at all that I, you, a field of those leading out to the end of the escarpment or something it's, it's just wonderful looking yeah or if you can find an isolated patch in the right excuse me in the right spot yeah, yeah. it works really well especially a few years back i don't know if you got up here after the fires for all the pink flannel flowers i did yeah that that was pretty wild actually yeah yeah there was a few spots where um, there was one place at Mount Victoria which had heaps, which no one ever used to go before then. Yeah. And since then, it's become like a pretty popular walking spot now. Yeah. Whereas before, you'd lucky see a parked car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about places that you have shot overseas? Are there any favourites that you want to keep going back to or i i'll always want to keep going back to africa i think um i was talking to one person one day and on a trip and they said basically there's two types of people who have been to africa uh sorry two types of people in the world those who love africa and those who haven't been um, yeah right i think that sums it up it's just yeah you know, i think Maybe like growing up, I loved all the nature docos and yeah, right, right. the David Attenborough stuff. So then going and just being there, it's just surreal, blows your mind. But not just a wildlife point of view too, like landscape-wise, it's like some of the places just, especially through Namibia, you'll yeah, come, there's a different type of landscape every 50, 100 kilometres. Like Rocky Mountains to sand dunes to open plains. It's yeah, just yeah, you have microclimates all over the place. They're, some of them aren't even that micro. There's some of them <laughs> at a yeah. large scale too. Yeah. So I think if I had to say anywhere, it'd just and I know Africa's a big place. Yeah. Any anywhere there I've been, I've never not liked anywhere. So have you shot in around the central lakes at all? Yeah, we went to on that that first trip I mentioned. I went to Lake Victoria. Yeah, the the, uh, the big one there. Yeah. yeah, and a few of the others in Kenya. I think it was Lake Nakuru and, mm. and a few of the others. But we just missed the flamingo season, unfortunately. Ah, yeah. So there was not the sea of pink you'd wanted, <laughs> <laughs> but just more reason to go back. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever been? No, Africa's on the list, and I, but I'm one of those people that hasn't been yet. But yeah, I definitely want to be there. Yeah, but then yeah. I've got a very long list, and it's hard to work out what the priority is. You know? Yeah, that's it—the long and ever-growing list. That's it. <laughs> Whereabouts would you like to retire? Is Lithgow it, or do you see yourself somewhere else? No, Lithgow's it. So. Probably, so the Lithgow district's a big council too. So I'd say either Hartley, which is like literally just off the mountains, or yeah. a bit further west around Capity. Yeah. Which I guess if people don't know it, it's a massive valley. I can't remember what metric it it's, this is based on, but I think it's like second biggest canyon in the world compared to the grand canyon i don't That's know if my understanding is yeah it's not overly deep necessarily but it's, it's super wide yeah and it's again littered with spots that 
just your hardcore bushwalkers see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it'd be worth exploring. You could spend weeks just. Yeah. Um, I, I reckon months easily in, yeah. in some places. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there, there's places up the back of Glen Davis and whatever that you just can't get to without doing some serious bushwalking. Yeah. That's it. And previously, I probably would have said Walgan Valley, but yeah, it's... Like... <laughs> they got bought by the Emirates, didn't it? Oh, they're shut now. Are um, they? Oh, okay. Yeah. I've heard that because there was massive landslides with all the rain the past ah, year, okay. and it's been shut off. For wow, okay. The main access down there has been shut yeah, off. Yeah, I, I remember going up camping up there in the in the seventies as a kid, and just being blown away by both. I mean, the remoteness, the fact that there's no no phone, no electricity. And this was back then when there was no phone or electricity. Well, there's still no mobile still no, Yeah, still no <laughs> mobile reception at all there. But there's no electricity in the valley. There's no facilities except there used to be a pub there that was open occasionally. And then you used to, I remember wandering around down by the, the, the side of the river there that runs through the valley, the old... There used to be a mining town. That's why it was there in in the Walgan Valley. They used to mine shale, apparently. Yeah. Bizarrely, one of the I know this sounds really horrific now, but one of the byproducts of the shale oil that, that they were extracting was petroleum, and they didn't have a use for it because there were no cars when they were doing that mining. And so what they did with most of the petroleum that they got extracted out of the shale mining operation was flush it down the river. Oh, straight in the river. <laughs> yeah. Just wow. literally had a big pipe and just flushed it out. Yeah. As you said, can you imagine the outroar now? Oh, absolutely. Right, rightly so. so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I just remember the old works there. There was old rusty tanks and there was brick kilns and whatever that these massive brick walls and whatever down there you can still once they rebuild the access road properly yeah you can still I guess you, you could I, I don't know i don't know what the walk down in there from the glowworm caves i remember you used to be able to walk down there from there yeah so that's the road the residents have had to use to get in and out yeah wow so they've had to have initially that's the road they used and had to have escorts and had to book on to get in and out of the valley <laughs> and that was for months and months and then they that was while they built a new access road in which is apparently pretty hairy but still not open for everyone yet just business and yeah. residents yeah so that made me rethink saying walgan valley <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> what's your most memorable experience out shooting it's hard to think of one memorable experience I think there was probably one morning at, at Govett's Leap that was pretty hard to top. It had poured the day before and so then there was like mist and cloud inversion and yeah. just perfect conditions, lots of high cloud, no low cloud, so just lit up perfect. And the mist like glowed pink as well. So, it was, yeah, it was like fairy floss through the valley. It was fantastic, magic. And there's two people there, even better, which you can't say that often for Govett's. Uh, definitely not. Not for a good sunrise. No, so that was pretty special. 
It's not a great story though, because it's yeah, you get up, you drive there, you hop out of the car, and there's the lookout. <laughs> it's luxury, oh, but it's memorable though. You were there with one other person or whatever, yeah. two other people, and you, you got the shot. Yeah, it's luxury landscape photography, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what the walks? What thirty seconds from the car park? Oh, at, <laughs> at most. If at that, most. that's yeah. if you go down the far end. Yeah. <laughs> And then I can think of a few wildlife ones, but yeah, not landscape. It's not coming to me right now. So. Right. What about horror stories? I've wrecked a few cameras in my time. The first, so three cameras I can think of. So the first was we were actually on our honeymoon and we were like doing a jungle trek in Borneo. Mm-hmm. And I'm... Unfortunately, one of those people who, like, I'll sweat in winter. And so trekking through a jungle in Borneo, 40 degrees with, like, 20% humidity, it was pretty pretty soggy. And I was getting the camera in and out of the bag, off and on to take photos of things. And then after a while, I just thought, I'm sick of taking my backpack off and putting it in and out, so I'll just carry it. And then... An hour later, I thought, oh, there was these limestone columns that I thought I'll take a photo yep. and just pointed it at it and went to click and nothing nothing happened, nothing had turned on. And so that was that was a bummer because, yeah, halfway through your, your trip overseas, you've got no camera, no backup. At least the memory card survived. But Oh, that's good, yeah. Got back and sent it off to Canon and they are like, yeah, no, that's we don't cover water damage. <laughs> <laughs> and what it was just the, the amount of humidity in the atmosphere. Yeah, that, so yeah, um, I sweated so much that just the sweat went in, in the yeah. camera and just rusted the guts out of it. Oh, uh, <laughs> that wasn't great. And then recently, this was the one. It worked out okay because this is what prompted the switch to mirrorless. But I went on a bushwalk with my son. He was still pretty little, so he was on the front. And I thought, oh, I'll be able to change all these lenses. So I wanted to swap. I had two cameras, one in each hand, and I was trying to then change lenses around and swap them on both. And he was getting bored, so he started kicking. And being a 12-month-old or whatever he was, uh, I was still too stupid to just put one camera down and do one at a time. I was like, no, nah, I can do this. I can do this. But the big problem was I was at Evans Crown, if you've been there. I guess I have. Yeah. yeah. And so there's big granite tours that you stand on yep. and the boulders. And I was on top of one of those as I scrambled up and uh, he kicked it straight off the edge, managed to kick both cameras straight off the edge. And so, yeah, just had to watch them tumble down the rocks. And You'd be way down there too. Oh, it's a long way. And <laughs> Did you bother going down to pick them up or? I had to because I needed some evidence of ownership, I thought, for the insurance. So I thought I better go and get them and just I assumed they were wrecked, but part of me like held out a little bit of hope. <laughs> just this little bit going, yeah, yeah. fine. <laughs> the 7D is a sturdy camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even it didn't cope with that tumble. And so I went home and at that point as well, I hadn't given in to the Wiggles yet. I was staunchly, I'm not watching the Wiggles with my son. (laughs) 
And I got home and then later on my wife came in the door and she opened the back door and she's like, oh, the wiggles are on, something's wrong. And walked into me just sitting on the lounge, head in hands, like basically rocking back and forth crying. I've wrecked both my cameras. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) So that was not ideal. (laughs) Fair enough. Other than your lens changing practices, uh, sun in a harness on on the front of you, What have you learned about the world through photography? I think that everywhere has got something beautiful to offer. You can find beautiful nature or wildlife wherever you are. You just have to look for it and put some effort in and you'll find it. I think, and yeah, I think that's the main thing that, yeah, everywhere is beautiful, got something to offer and worth looking after. Definitely. In terms of that spectrum again of racing home and putting the, the card in the computer and getting into editing to leaving them for months, sometimes even years, where are you on that spectrum? Are you one to race home and get into it? or you? I try to race home and get into it uh, because I like, it feels like it finishes the process. Yeah. Um, and I can remember what it looked like as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And... The longer the backlog I have, the less motivated I am to do anything with it. And I end up just deleting a heap of shots. You mentioned you were a lazy editor. So I'm I'm going to talk about your editing process in a minute. But yeah. So I I try and get straight into it. But reality is at the moment, like I I try and get there within a week is the. Oh, it's not too bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Better than some. But there's definitely like I had it, went on a trip. What is it now? Probably nearly six weeks ago now, and there's still shots I haven't got to from that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I try to get on top of it as quick as I can, though. I don't like having a backlog. Yeah, yeah. no, I know the feeling, but I have a, an ever-growing backlog myself. Yeah. Particularly if I go away, because I tend not to take my laptop with me if I go overseas in particular, and therefore when I get back, there's six, possibly eight weeks of, shooting to yeah, get wow. into do you find that demotivating not really it depends it depends on how much my wife is whipping me to uh, get a photo book because <laughs> it, we tend what we tend to do when we do go overseas is get all the photos we've taken whether it's on the phone or on the camera or whatever and so there's some art there's some snapshots there's family stuff and all that sort of thing and we'll put together a book so of course that then pushes me to do the stuff that I've got on the camera. The stuff off the phone, I don't edit. I just, uh, I might brighten it up a bit if it's a bit dark so that when it prints, it'll look all right. But other than that, I don't worry about it. But yeah. there, it, it means I then get pushed to to do some of the the edits that I know I've got to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. depends a lot on how motivated she is to get a book together. And I, <laughs> I think I'm about two or three books behind on trips. <laughs> yeah. We've got photo books for a lot of our trips as well. It's a great idea. But yeah, I think I might need the other half to get me into gear with it. I <laughs> She wants them to send to her parents and family overseas because she's from the UK. She's got a, a motivation. That's our Christmas present to them sometimes as a photo book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, the last one I did was 2018, so I'm a bit behind. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a while ago. Yeah. And then that's when I look at it and I'm like, I, I can't get motivated to do that now. Yeah. But I really should because 
digital stuff the way it is. I'm going to lose this stuff eventually, so I need to have it in a book somewhere. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the reasons why I do it. But I'm interested for you, what is it that I guess you feel demotivated by? Is it just the volume or...? I think the volume, yeah, and I just look at the sheer volume and just don't know where to start and (laughs) end up picking a shot here and there. And I think it's a lot worse with wildlife than it is for landscape. Yeah. Because with the wildlife stuff, if you're shooting at 20 frames a second, very quickly you have thousands of of the one bird or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. Even a normal backyard shoot, I might take 500 photos. (laughs) Yeah, that that would be demotivating, I think, to go through that. Yeah, it's when you get... When you feel a drive, yeah, it, it, yeah. Um, I do do wonder a lot of talk about what AI can do for people and and whatever. One of the things I'd like to see rather than AI image generation is AI image evaluation, where based on, yeah, you could teach it rule of thirds, golden triangle, whatever, the whole shebang. Yeah. And feed all of the so-called rules of composition, et cetera, in. And you could actually have it evaluate and at least rate where it fits on the scale and potentially even identify areas where you could do a crop improvement or a, a, a change of perspective improvement on it. I think for me, that would be one of the most valuable AI tools that you could find. That way you could just push a button, let it have at your collection and then give you a ranked set of things so you could then prioritise. Yeah, yeah, that'd be perfect. <laughs> Especially if you could, again, the wildlife stuff, if it's just your critically sharp images, if it could just tick them. Just that, identify, yeah, what's not sharp. and what That'd call hundreds, like click of a button. I know, I know what I get. No, no <laughs> sharp ones and <laughs> hundreds of slightly out of focus. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, there's some... Yeah, you come back with some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's not even if you remember to take the lens cap off. Like, <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. <clears throat> Pardon me. Let, let's talk a bit about the processing. You you said you were a lazy processor. What? Why do you say that? And what is it that you think makes you lazy around that? Oh, I don't know if lazy is the right word. As I said, I just, I don't. If I feel I have to spend too much time on an image, it probably wasn't a great one to start with. And yeah, just, what what's too much time? I think most images I mostly just use not even the full version of Lightroom, like Lightroom, is it CC, the cloud-based one? Yeah. So I mostly just use that for 90% of things. You can only do so much in it. It's your basic adjustments, your color wheels and a bit of sharpening, a bit of yeah, a bit of contrast here and there, yeah. 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 Although the masking is pretty good now. Yeah, um, definitely. It's come a long way from where it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, so I do use a lot of the masking. but So most images I might, the initial edit might be 15 minutes and then uh, I'll put it on ice then and come back to it in a couple of days and do a few more tweaks and do that a few times. <laughs> so it might take me like a week to get like a fully finished image or... Yeah what I think is at that point, but it might only be 20, 30 minutes all up, I think, yeah. um, for most. I, I always tend to evaluate depending on what I'm planning to do with it. 
do I think it's portfolio worthy and going to go into the print store or whatever? Or is it something that I like and I'm happy to share on social media, but I don't, don't really care too much about the quality? Yeah. And obviously the portfolio ones are going to potentially spend a little bit more time on, but the other ones, they're just being, if I spend 20 minutes, I've spent too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe with my portfolio type images, they might be the ones with a bit less sometimes because I think yeah. they're, you know, they're cracking conditions and you don't need to do as much. Yeah, true, true. So, uh, sometimes that's true, yeah. Yeah. But in saying that, if it's Astro, that takes freaking forever to edit because I tend to, for it, um, I don't have a tracker or anything, so I'll take 20, 30 shots for the sky and then stack them in one of the programs and yeah, right. combine that with your foreground that you've taken another shot for. And with that, easily an hour goes by and you're still on the same image. I find that a bit tedious, but I guess that's just par for the course with Astro <laughs> unless you do your single shot, which... Don't get me wrong, you get some great images with a single shot too. But Sometimes they can be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've ha- had a bit of luck occasionally where you get that one shot and you don't really need to do too much to it. You might play around a little bit with the contrast or you might tweak the, the, the colour a little bit in the, in the Milky Way core, for example, just to bring out maybe some of the reds and blues. But other than that, yeah, it's nice. It's nice when you can get one like that. Doesn't yeah, definitely. Doesn't happen often. But... Uh, no, not this close to Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. Do you print much of your work? I print a bit, not as much as I'd like. Yeah, not as much as I'd like, and probably going to be less if I shut the print store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then so it's mostly stuff for home, and then should be the photo books if I was up to date with those. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, a few sales here and there. But as I said, they're directly proportional to the effort put in and that's been that's pretty long late. So it's really tapered off as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you see as being the biggest challenge to photography? I don't know if I'm able, if I'm the right person to ask that. I don't know if I've got a... <laughs> opinion oh, I'm just um, interested to know if you've got an opinion if you don't that's fine I guess for landscape pro- photography I'd probably say the loss of wild places would be the, the biggest yeah, yeah. if that continues at the rate it's going we'll be all shooting similar landscapes unless you can charter a plane into the middle of nowhere like yeah, if, uh, if climate change keeps going, it'll be a lot of deserts. <laughs> I do like deserts. <laughs> I don't mind a desert, but I don't want everywhere to be a desert. No, that's right. You need some variety. And that's probably why I like them, to be fair. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it would be the loss of wild places and loss of wildlife would be the, the biggest challenge for nature photography. And And I wouldn't... And the longer that goes, there's going to be more and more of that photography highlighting the destruction and loss of wild places. And yeah, and yeah, and that's necessary and you need it, but I don't want that to be the only thing I see as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. What about the future of photography? Where do you see it going? 
Yeah, I don't think I'm qualified to have an opinion on that one. <laughs> I guess for for people, people are always going to go out and take photos of what floats their boat. So I think it's always going to be there in some form. It'll just change and alter over time. It was film there for a yeah. while. Oh, there'll it's... definitely be different trends. Film Films made a big comeback in, in some genres as well. Yeah, yeah. It seems like way too much effort for me, but... Yeah. I grew up in the film era and I'm thinking, do I want to go back that way? No, not really. <laughs> Been there, done it. Yeah. <laughs> the photography back then was rubbish anyway, but, yeah, it, it, it does seem lot of, like a lot of effort. And I do get the slowing down that it makes you do and I do get the, the effort that you've got to try and get it all in one frame, though even with film you could still bracket and blend in the dark room if you were doing your own development it's a little bit more difficult when you've got to send it off to a lab but if if you are doing your own development then being able to bracket and blend and do some of the things that you do in digital they're, they're still quite possible like they're not things that a lot of what's in photoshop is just replicating black dark room processes yeah, because who's making who, it one or two buttons to click or a slider to to pull? Who was that? There was World War One photographer who. Oh yeah, I can't think of his name right now. But it, it, there was an Australian bloke, and he used to do a lot of composites with glass plates during World War One, and he got criticised quite a bit for not being because he was an official military photographer, so he was there with attached to military units and he would actually take film and photos of, of what they were doing and some of the most famous shots of the Somme and Passchendaele and all those sorts of things were actually came out of his camera but he used to do quite a lot of composite work as well so he'd incorporate a, a shot of a, an aircraft going over and a, a different sky with an explosion going off which wasn't there in the field of mud that he was taking a shot of with these blasted trees or whatever. Yeah, I found that fascinating, I think, the first time I heard that story because it's like yeah. the, oh, is that photoshopped, that question? It's always been there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been around since the dawn of photography almost. Double exposure photography has been around since the beginning where somebody forgot to change the glass plate, <laughs> which yeah, ha literally that, that's the reason for the first double exposure yeah. photograph. Somebody forgot to take the, the, the plate out and they they ended up with these two exposures on the one plate and they oh, it actually looks quite arty. <laughs> <laughs> a bit weird. There's lots of things in life that are a happy accident. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> if you weren't a photographer, what would you be? I guess because it's mostly hobby photographer, I'd probably play a bit more guitar than I do now. No. At the moment, I only have time for one hobby, so don't get to play much guitar, so I'd probably pick up a bit more of that. You don't want to try playing a guitar while changing a lens? <laughs> no, I've managed to not smash any guitars, so <laughs> I haven't gone Pete Townsend on anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. We need to finish up shortly. Do you have any tips for giving me people that I should be talking to on the show? I think maybe one that might be a bit different is he's a, land, a wildlife photographer, but I think 
does some great landscape photography too. Charles Davis, because uh, when you look back at the Nat Geo Awards and stuff, he's got a landscape one in there nearly every year as well. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, and, and he's always interesting to listen to about anything. Okay. Probably, probably one that might be a bit different. I'll pop him on the list. Yeah. yeah. All right, brilliant. I got the question that everyone's dying for me to get to, which is the most important question I can ask. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Yeah, complaints from me. Yeah, <laughs> you order it, it or do you, is it just if it's there, you'll eat it? And if, if not, no worries. My favourite pizza is a, a good margarita, like a okay. proper, yeah, proper margarita. But I will order a Hawaiian too. Um, Fair enough. I'm no snob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Jeremy. It's been wonderful getting to know you better. Where can people find your work? Thanks for having me. I appreciate you asking me on the show. Just Instagram, Facebook, website, they're all the highly imaginative Jeremy Murray photography. So not hard to find. No, not at all. All right. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Matt. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.